Father, I just thank you that you are holy, 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 that you are the beginning and end, um, that you are the creator of all and you sustain us. And so may this very morning, as you've called us all together, both here and online, our hearts be humbled for the receiving of the word. May my heart be humbled for the receiving of the word. Um, and may it be your words, not mine. Um, and then may we leave in a way that we are experiencing more of your transformative power through your son, Jesus Christ. We lift up these things in your son's matchless name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. You know, we are continuing on our preaching series in 1 Corinthians with the overarching theme being the gospel-believing church. And as we've seen, if you go back to even 1 Corinthians, even chapter 1, Paul, our brother, was saying, I thank God for the grace and mercy that's poured into you and the spiritual giftings that you all have. And he was very excited that he was the one that was used to actually preach the truth and their hearts were softened, which caused an explosion of Christian faith and also the planning of the Corinth, the church in Corinth. As he tells them, they were enriched in Christ in all speech and knowledge. But for the Corinthian church, and the same for us, there are issues. <laughs> and they had many issues. And one of the things it seemed to center around is glorification of self over glorification of God. And that's something we all struggle with in our walk, correct? So... The things that he was addressing, sexual immorality, divisions amongst the church. Hey, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. He's like, wait a minute. So I planted the seed. Apollos came along and watered it, and the Lord caused it to grow. It's the same gospel. It is the gospel. It's the gospel. He addressed marriage, divorce, singleness. And then as our brother Anwar preached about last week, we're in chapter 8. And he was addressing how to best steward the freedoms we have in Christ. So in other words, I always like to use the example of Acts 16, 14, where Paul talks about Sister Lydia, and she was a worshiper, but she really didn't know God. And God opened up her heart, so what Paul was preaching, she received and was converted accordingly. And so they... Paul is saying to them, listen, we've had an explosion in the Christian church, but there are divisions and there are issues amongst you. And that freedom that you have now in Christ where he has shown you things such as, hey, you know what? These meats offered to these false gods, it doesn't matter because those false gods are useless. They're non-existent. So you can eat anything you want. But for the sake of another brother, we shouldn't put it in their face because another brother might not be mature in that area yet, and they're still struggling with those foods offered to idols at those temples. So for the sake of them, you should be willing to put aside that freedom you have so you can help a weaker brother and not stunt their growth in Christ. And so when we look at chapter 9, chapter 9 is an illustration of the very thing that Paul is talking and calling them to in chapter 8. He's basically saying, listen, 
I ask you to look after the weaker brother because I'm doing the same thing for you. And this is what it looks like. And he goes into all the rights accordingly. Paul addressed how they should best steward their freedoms in the gospel for the sake of the weaker brother in the faith. And one of the things I want to give you is a quick example before we go forward. So say I have a bunch of brothers over. And we all fellowship. We sit down. We have a great time. Now they're in a movie. The movie's a rated R movie. I never bothered to check. There's sexual things, nature in there. And I think, hey, I'm fine. It doesn't affect me anymore. The Lord's removed it from me. What about my other brothers? Now I've just set them up for a fall in the things that they're most struggling with. And I didn't consider them. I didn't put aside the freedom I may have for the other brother that's still struggling with that. And that's what he's saying here. I call this for the sake of the gospel. So repeat after me. For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, I will endure anything rather than be an obstacle to the gospel. So repeat after me. For the sake of the gospel, I will endure anything rather than be an obstacle to the gospel. So what is exactly Paul enduring? And we'll go through these. Let's just read verses 1 through 3 quick. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So there's a common thought process here between different commentators and theologians alike where they think that on one hand, either Paul is being is just giving an example and saying, hey, listen, this is what the freedoms and rights that I'm putting aside for you. On the other hand, some say he's being attacked, and he's giving a defense also in that. And I would say it's the latter, he's being attacked. And the reason why is this. So in the book of Acts, Acts 15, the book of Galatians, and also when you get to 2 Corinthians, he has what is called these Judaizers. There are those that believe that hey, it's a little bit of grace, and it's works also. Just like today, we have that amongst various religions today. Hey, a little bit of grace and a lot of work. Our Jehovah Witness, our Muslim brothers, and so on. Even among those that would claim Christianity, we see divisions on that. So they did not quite grasp the idea that this was given freely. And these Judaizers was following Paul from town to town. And when they catch up to him in 2 Corinthians, it is wreaking havoc. Everything they're saying about him is spreading like wildfires. They say things like in 2 Corinthians 10, 10, hey, what he sends in the letters is strong, but his speech, his presence is weak and his speech is of no account. He wasn't one of the original disciples or apostles. Since he wasn't one of the originals, he can't be an apostle. Also, he's not even accepting money from us. And they're supposed to get paid by us. So, 
I'm pretty sure based on that, it's a continuation of the same thing. Because what you say in one town travels to another town. And as we see again in 2 Corinthians, it catches up to them. So he is being pressed and having to give an account. And one of the things they're calling into question is his authenticity as an apostle. He wasn't one of the original 12. So what is an apostle? An apostle is one who is sent. But there are particular things about the apostles of Christ. One is they were personally chosen by him. The other is they bared witness to the resurrected Christ. And the third is they went on to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to only do miracles and wonders that they had only seen Christ do. So how did Paul fit into this? Well, if you go to Acts 9.5, on the road to Damascus, he was struck down by Jesus. The other two men could only hear the voice. He saw Jesus. Then he was blinded and sent on. And Brother Ananias laid hands on him. He gained sight. And he said, and God said, this one will go on and preach to the Gentiles or Jews and the kings alike. And a matter of fact, throughout his whole ministry, that's what he did. In every town, he went to the synagogues and pleaded his case. He preached to the Gentiles. <clears throat> and all the way to his death throughout the Roman Empire, he told about his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And along the way, he did things that only Jesus himself had done, empowered by the Spirit. So he was a real apostle. But as he says here, he says, well, <laughs> have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Yes. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? This is another thing to point out. When you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, and you're empowered by the Spirit, and you go on to be entrusted with that same gospel to tell others, the work that the Lord does in those people you are part of, and they are your workmanship. They are your workmanship. They are further proof that the Lord is working in you. And this is why Paul says, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You are the proof of what the Lord is doing through me. And so we should take confidence, brothers and sisters, that as we press into God and he directs us and we deliver the gospel, we are doing great workmanship. And there's examples of that from all of us all around us. So one of the things that's happening, two of the things I should say is happening is this, as I mentioned before. He's being pressed from the outside, and he's being pressed from the inside. So what happens when you press back on people, and they're not willing to receive what you're pressing back on? They're going to press back on you, right? They're going to press back on you. So the Corinthian church is pressing back on him. Let me ask you, how about you? When is the last time that you can remember for the sake of the gospel enduring anything 
rather than be an obstacle to the gospel? What first comes to your mind when I ask you that question? Do you remember? Let me ask you. There's, there's two sides of this. There's either the side where it's just been happening in such abundance, you just can't, it's just too many to recount. Or it could be just like me. I'm on the other side where you just haven't done it very often. And we all should have a little bit of conviction or maybe much conviction in that. Because it's not just a calling, it's a command. For the sake of the gospel, I would endure anything rather than be an obstacle, including enduring giving up my rights I have in Christ. Let's read 4 through 7. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits or tends a flock with getting some of the milk? I love this because he's just further strengthening the defense. As I told you, brothers, in chapter 8, you have rights and you need to put this aside. Well, let me tell you about the rights that we have. And he's going to go off into the details about this. I have a right to eat just like you do. But for the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to put that aside to help another brother who might be a little bit weaker in those areas. I have a right to drink. I have a right to believe in wife as some of the apostles were married. And he says, is it only Barnabas and I who have a right to refrain from working and living? So there's a few things that were happening right there in context of the Corinth church. That's a port area, a lot of great wealth and also poverty. They also have a lot of great speakers of the day. Live your best life now in the Roman province. And get paid for it. And as one commentator put it, Strong, popular, cultural leaders of that day made their living by collecting money and staying in the homes of their hearers. This gave wealthy individuals leverage and sway in their relationships with their leaders. This is called relational debt. Even though an individual's leader was leading, he was ultimately dependent upon the sponsor for his livelihood. Paul Recognizing that, saying, listen, you're already struggling with the culture around you. So for your sake, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. For your sake, I'm going to give up those rights. Because that'll just blend in then. If, they're, if he's taking money from them and they're still surrounded by the culture of that day, somewhere in there it's going to cause problems and be an obstacle for the gospel. And that's what his main concentration is. Also, as I said before, there's great wealth there, there's poverty there. So there's a difference. There's some people that work because they have lesser means, and there's wealthy people there. They were just born into wealth, they don't work. So there was some laziness and slothness going on. I think Paul's saying, listen, let me show you what it looks like when you receive Christ and you work. For the worker deserves his wage. If you don't work, you don't eat. So he was looking at what they were surrounded by. And the very thing he was telling them in chapter 8, he was doing for them here in chapter 9, letting you know, these are all the things, the rights I'm giving up. Then he goes on to say, well, let's look at common sense things. Even the soldiers are paid, 
paid. They don't work at their own expense, right? Well, the Roman soldiers back then, so it's pretty interesting. When I looked this up, when you're a Roman soldier, I think you had to be in up to like 25 years or something like that. And if you survive that, then you got a plot of land afterwards and you could farm. So until then, you were paid in both <clears throat> wages and salt because salt was a precious commodity. He's like, well, they don't work for free. And we look at our current military right now. Do they work for free? They're paid, right? Even though some would argue they could be paid a little bit better. But they're, they're paid. He says, who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? You know, when I've gone to wine vineyards, <laughs> they're not there just planting it just for the purpose of planting. They're doing something with it. They're harvesting it. They're creating wine. They're going to enjoy some of it. Who has a flock and doesn't take some of the milk? No farmer just farms, gives it all away, and then has to go and pay for the very thing that he's growing. <laughs> he's going to take a little for his family, right? Those are common sense things. So he's pleading to their sense of common sense. For the sake of the gospel, Paul is willing to endure giving up his rights to not work as to not be a stumbling block. That's really what it comes down to. I'm giving this defense for you so you can see what it looks like for your weaker brother. Let's look at verses 8 through 14. He pours it on even more. It's not even on my own authority. This is not on human authority. This is on God's authority. For it is written in the law of Moses, you should not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. You know, he mentions this not only in Corinthians, but also in the book of Timothy, too. He uses this as a stance for those in the ministry getting paid by the ministry. So it's of most importance. And so that particular verse, shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, is in reference to Deuteronomy 25.4. And actually, when you look it up, it's actually pretty interesting because I was looking up, well, what does that look like for oxen to be, you know, treading out the grain? It was pretty cool. I looked up a video, and literally it was modern time, present day, and a family had oxen, and they had grain there. And they literally, the kids were taking this oxen around over the grain, and the other kids were having fun, flipping around, and they were walking through, and they're all stamping it out. And what this does, it's, it starts to loosen up what is edible in that grain so they can harvest it. And they had another guy with a, pork, a fork there just throwing more in there, and they were just walking over it, walking around in circles, loosening up what is edible. And he says, well, that oxen that you're using, would you just cover its mouth and not let it eat? You would just let it keep working until it just faints? No, you would feed it. You would allow it to participate in what you're using it for. So, and that's exactly what happened. In that video, as the oxen was stamping it out, they were eating along the way. And he says, is it really about oxen God is concerned? Does he certainly not speak for our sake? Listen, when the Lord says in the scriptures, look at the birds in the air. Do they store up? But I still provide for them. How much more for you? We bear the image of God. We are the most crucial and important part of creation. So therefore, if we wouldn't do this to an oxen, why would you do that to your brother? Why would you do that to yourself? Of course you're going to take from what you're participating in. That is common sense. 
He's pleading to them. And then he finally just says, listen, if we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So if others are doing things for you and they make a claim on it, how about those who are doing it for the gospel's sake? Do we not have a claim on you as well? Let me go on to 13. <laughs> he further just piles it on. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Well, that goes back to the book of Leviticus. The Levite priests were supposed to take a portion of what was given for themselves. So he's just further laying it on, on God's authority, on God's authority, on God's authority. For the sake of the gospel, I endure this on God's authority. That should not be an obstacle. And then he just finally says, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So I've made my case. And with all of that important stuff that I just laid out for you, for the sake of the gospel, I endure anything, including putting aside all those rights I just laid out for you that we have as to not cause you to stumble, as to not be an obstacle for the gospel. What are some other modern-day obstacles that are front and center? Those are the same. We can look. Listen, all of Scripture, there's nothing new under the sun. So we can always look at Scripture from the Old to the New Testament and see ourselves, right? But what are some things that are front and center that we can think about right now? Hmm, just finished or kind of finished an election, didn't we? Politics. So, will you allow politics to be an obstacle for the sake of you loving another brother and building them up? Maybe they voted differently than you. Maybe they have different convictions. Maybe... Just in their walk right now, they're just not at that same point. Are you going to be so bent out of shape about it that you would deny another brother an opportunity to pour into them, to lift them up with the word of God? You reject them because, oh, I can't believe you voted. <laughs> you obviously don't know Jesus. You know, brothers and sisters, what about different things that happen in the church? In our Americanized Christianity, we're so used to, it's like we have a who's list of offerings. You go to a big church, they got a million different ministries. You go to a small church, they're trying to get to that point. <laughs> and people come and they say, hmm, what do they have here? I like that. Mm, I like that. Mm, I don't like that. I didn't like the preaching yesterday. I don't like that. Oh, they're too contemporary on the music. I can't believe these guys. What are they doing with that children's ministry? <laughs> nah. You're going to let that be an obstacle? Is that what it's about? When you come to church, it's about what we see? I think about 1 Corinthians 12, and it talks about the members of the body and how that all works together. And it talks about what the hand doesn't say to the rest of the body, I'm going to leave you and go on and so on. Now, talk about this. What if your body parts could do that? What if you woke up one day and your arms, your legs say, hey, guess what? We're going off on vacation. You're just sitting there like a nub going, what can I do? <laughs> I can't do anything. 
they just worked independently of you. We would all be in deep trouble. But as it moves forward, when you think about that, the process of how that really works, from your mind, your mind sends impulses to the rest of your body and direction. It all flows, the head down to the rest of the body. Hmm. We, the believers, make up the body of Christ, and his direction, his will flows from him being the head down into the body. And so one of the things it mentions in that is that either you're part of one body or you're a single member. In other words, you're acting like an independent body. I think we all can find ourselves in that. We go to church, and instead of being one unit, we allow all these other things to disrupt us, and we're an obstacle to the gospel rather than putting ourselves aside. So then we're operating like a totally separate body rather than like a hand, a finger, a foot, an arm, part of one unit with Christ at the head. What about husbands and wives? If he would only, if she would only, then I would do this. Hmm, that's funny because in Ephesians, the Lord tells the husband to love his wife and give his life like Christ did for the church. That doesn't sound like any room for error in there for you to be able to say, well, if she does this, then I'll give her more. Because if Christ did that to us, we would be all hellbound. What about children? Oh, that child of mine. If only, if only this child would straighten up, then I would. You know what comes to mind is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And these commands you shall keep upon your heart. You will teach them diligently to your children. You will talk about them when you will talk about these verses, these commands when I sit down, when you sit down, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. There's nowhere in there where it says conditional. There's nothing conditional. You teach your children, you pour into them. And it's not a transactional base. They give, you give, right? You're constantly giving by the grace of God. For the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to endure anything as to not be an obstacle for the gospel. And he says, nevertheless, we endure anything rather than be an obstacle. And as I mentioned before, he basically just says, listen, with all these All these rights for the sake of the gospel, we will endure anything rather than be an obstacle, including putting aside all these rights that we have in our Lord and Savior. We can't say it enough. And then he goes on to say, I'd rather die. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Well, let me put it this way. I would rather die than to have you take away my freedoms to be obedient to the will of God. That's what it comes down to. He's so built up. His thirst is just for Christ. He'd rather die than have someone take away his rights to be obedient to God. How about you? How about you? 
A good example, remember the Columbine High School shooting and the little girl, the, I guess, teenage girl that was asked if she was a follower of Christ. She could have just denied him. But for the sake of the gospel, she was willing to endure anything, including death, which is what she did it now. Rather than be an obstacle for the gospel by denying Christ. And we dare say, her spirit is with our Lord and Savior as we speak. Celebrating and rejoicing. How about you? I asked before, for the sake of the gospel, when have you last endured anything rather than be an obstacle? As we go through these, do you see yourself in here? Do you see yourself? Man, yeah. Are you seeing yourself in these things? It was a great conviction for myself. So Paul goes from, I will endure anything rather than be an obstacle to the reason why is then so I have opportunities to preach the gospel out of necessity. He says, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He's saying this is a necessity. And all this boils down to this. The Lord opens your heart. You receive truth. You repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus. You receive the Spirit of God. It starts giving you a direction, a teacher, comforter for an eternity. Now, what you have been entrusted with, you are now starting to entrust to others. So that means that instead of following your own will, you're following the will of God, so you're not an obstacle, but then you have opportunities to preach the very gospel that was preached to you. That's the end game is what he's saying here. Why does he find it a necessity? Let's look at verse 17. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with stewardship. So he's saying in this, listen, if I do this of my own will, then all I'm getting is my reward is that moment. That's it. That's it. But if I'm doing it according to God's will, then, then, according to his will, I am being a steward of the very gospel I was given according to his will because I was entrusted with it. And I think we can't hear that enough, folks. If we've repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, we have been entrusted with the very gospel that caused a change in us. So when you're entrusted with something and you hold on to it with your life, what does God tell us to do? Proclaim it. I just did a, a simple Google search on preaching the gospel. Over 100 different verses came up. Then I went into the concordance of the Bible, and I looked up under preaching and under witness. Tons of verses. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole, all creation. Acts 10, 42. And he commanded us to preach the, to the people and testify that he's the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Mark 1, 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Matthew 24, 14. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Luke 24, 46 through 47. And I say to them, 
Thus it is written that Jesus Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, 4, 4, 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's a premium. It is a premium that we all, who have been entrusted with the gospel, preach the gospel to others. And Paul is laying out a blueprint. For the sake of the gospel, I will endure anything so I will not be an obstacle to the gospel, who will lead for me opportunities to preach the gospel because as I grow in my love for God, I recognize it's not only a command, it's a necessity in this broken, fallen world. When a person's heart is open up to receive the truth being delivered, Christ is to permeate everything. Homes, jobs, government, family, neighborhood, comings and goings, vacation. He also says here, when we get to 18, he says, what else brings him, what else? What is my reward? But not only it's preaching the gospel out of necessity, it's preaching it free of charge. I was given the gospel free of charge, and I get the beauty of Stewarding that on to someone else free of charge. He's excited about this. The question is, how do we get like Paul? How do we find a necessity in this Americanized Christianity when we have all this stuff around us? What do we do? Let me ask you, how's your daily walk in pursuing the Word of God? Because I believe that's at the heart of everything for all of us, myself included. What is your daily walk like in pursuing the Word of God? Listen, there is nothing wrong with having <clears throat> that morning routine where we all get up and we have our half an hour, hour, whatever it leads to in the morning. That's a beautiful thing. But if you think about it, you're not just up for an hour. You're up for 10, 12, 15, 20 hours, or hopefully not 20 hours, but less. <laughs> and what's happening to you throughout the rest of the day? The rest of the world is beating down on you hour after hour. And you've only had Jesus for an hour. Listen, I don't want to throw cold water on someone's walk that in the morning you have a, a walk with the Lord. Listen, some of you, you got kids and other responsibilities. You're just trying to stick your head up above water and take a breath. But what I'm saying is, and many of you, when I've had the, the privilege of speaking to you, one of the things I would ask you is, how's your walk since the pandemic started? What's going on? What are you doing throughout the day? And it was never to beat anyone up because I throw myself in there. It's to encourage each other that we need to pursue the word of God throughout the day. What does that look like? So maybe you do your half an hour, hour in the morning or whatever that is. But can you not continue off of that? Say you're really busy. Can you not, when you take a break for five, ten minutes, spend five, ten minutes on the Lord just for a second, going back over that verse you were memorizing or that passage and that breakdown of it and praying over it? 
You're saying, God, you will be done. Then stop right there. Maybe it's five, 10 minutes. And then you do that again and again and again throughout the day. Think about this. Think about a song that you listen to and you listen to over and over again. Oh, then it just permeates through your mind. And then you want to hear it all the time. Or think about your job. When you work your job 8, 10, 12 hours throughout the day, what happens? You become an expert at it. And after a while, instead of looking at the book, it's just rolling off your tongue. If you pursue God's word like that, it will roll off your tongue and you will find it a necessity as Paul does. And that's what we all need to encourage each other on. Not beat each other up, but to share the stories. Oh, I failed today too, man. I just didn't do what I needed to. I got to tell you, Brother John did a great job. He preached about big C calling and little C calling. And I love that. A few weeks ago, he did a fantastic job on that. And he talked about how the big C calling is, hey, we repent of our sins, put our faith in Jesus. We are now Christ follower. And that's to permeate everything else. Our little C calling is all the other things we have, family, neighborhood, work. But what typically happens is in Americanized Christianity, we flip the script. And our little C calling now becomes more important than Christ. And Christ just becomes like a little Buddha on the shelf. And so our work and everything else we want to do takes precedent. But if Christ is first, then through all other responsibilities and opportunities we have, we're going to be looking for opportunities to preach the gospel out of necessity. When my wife and I were on, we had, had just gotten married, and we were on a honeymoon. And we were driving in, I just, I, I mean, we went to this resort, and it was all this all-inclusive. I'd never been to a resort all-inclusive before. It was fantastic. And I was just like, my goodness, Lord, this is ridiculous, man. This is abundance. And the spirit that hit me is like, okay, man, you had safe journey here. You had, in the airport, you had safe journey from the airport in Detroit to here. You had safe journey from the airport to this resort. Can you not at least go to a local church and celebrate with other believers? And I remember saying to Sarah, I was like, you know what? I think we got to go to church. We just got to go and be amongst other believers. Now, I failed in the other areas because I should have led us every single day and saying, hey, wife, you need your personal time. Want to make sure you do it. Your husband's going to have his personal time. We're going to be about Christ, and then we're going to enjoy the heck out of every single day. But the Lord had pressed on me just for that bit and said, you know, we need to go. And we went to the church. We, we had a great time. It was great to be amongst other professing Christians. And that's what I'm saying. The more we pursue God, the more in every bit of our life, God will permeate. And we will find it a necessity to preach the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, I endure anything rather than be an obstacle, which leads to gospel opportunities to preach the gospel out of necessity. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we have our brother Paul who labored so hard, the work that you have done in him. And we just see his love for you, his thirst for you, for one who originally would pursue and persecute Christians. Now he's one of them on to death for you, Father. May we not just bypass this example, but meditate on it. And may it encourage us to pursue you with greater thirst so we too, for the sake of the gospel, will endure anything rather than be an obstacle to the gospel.
so we too would have opportunities to preach the gospel out of necessity. Father, we love you and we ask for more of you. Carry us throughout the day in your son's matchless name. Amen.